0: Mark has been our study over the last several, several weeks. Last week, Steve covered the last verses of chapter 7. We saw Jesus take this unusual route uh, to get to the area of Decapolis, or Decapolis, that's a Gentile area. He was dealing with a man who was deaf and also had a speech impediment. He was brought to Jesus by his friends. If you'll notice in that passage that they were imploring him to heal his friends. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus on one side of the bridge and the people who need Jesus on the other side of the bridge. Well, these guys took that message and they were bringing people, his their friend, to Jesus. And Jesus chose to heal this man, not from a distance, but with a touch. And actually, it was a unique touch in Scripture is that Jesus, it says, it put his fingers in the man's ear. He spit and put his um, in the saliva in the man's mouth. And The verse 37 of chapter 7 sums up what uh, the result. It says that they were utterly astonished, saying, He, Jesus, has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And I just love that line in Mark chapter 7, verse 37, where he says, Jesus does all things well. Now, we continue the stories of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus by looking at another time where Jesus, again, feeds a large group of people. But before we go there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the gift of this morning, of having a time in our week To come and to rehearse your truth through song and through worship. To be encouraged by your church, a body of believers. God, we now thank you for the time where we get to open your word. Where you get to teach us by your spirit and all wisdom and all truth. So God, I pray that you would find us ready to receive from you this morning. Our hearts and minds would be open. That this morning would not just be another morning we came to a place, but it would be a place where we came into your presence and we heard from you. And that we're reminded that we're empowered by you, by your spirit, to live out what you've called us to do and to live. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you, beside you, that they would hear from the Lord this morning. We freely give ourselves to you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is The Blessings of Christ, The Blessing of Christ's Compassion. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of that chapter. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat... Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said seven, and he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over uh, of the broken pieces. About four thousand were there, and he he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat, and his disciples came to the district of Dalmanthua. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. Now, if you listen closely, you'll probably pick up that we just covered a similar story just a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 6. We see that there, in the beginning, there's a similar predicament. A large crowd had gathered to hear Jesus teach. Jesus had taught them for an extended length of time, and the people quite simply needed to eat. Now, there's some similarities in the two feedings. Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 8 verses 1 through 10 Uh, reports an incident much like the one we saw the feeding of the five thousand in Mark chapter six verse thirty through forty-four. Now the two accounts are so similar that some account some commentators even thought that it's the same event, just with two different accounts. But that's not the case. I want to be clear there's two different events. Even Jesus will talk about the two different events. But both have similarities. Both take place in the desert. Both portray the disciples baffled about how to feed the crowds. In each case, Jesus asks the question, How many loaves do you have? The miracle itself seems to follow this uh, similar progression in each of them. The crowd reclines. Jesus blesses and breaks the bread and the fish. The disciples receive the bread and the fish from Jesus, and the disciples distribute the bread and the fish. All eat, all are satisfied, and the leftovers are carefully uh, collected and put together in baskets. Even the conclusions of the story sound similar. At the end of each of the story, Jesus gets in the boat and heads across to a different place. So the question comes then: why does Mark record both stories? Why does he take time to record both miracles? Because even with all the similarities, there are some differences that I think are quite significant. Now here's some of the differences. In the feeding of the 5,000, the first feeding, there were five loaves. and this one, there's seven. In the first one, there were two fish. This one, there's a few. The people that were fed in the first one were 5,000 men. This one, 4,000. Baskets, leftover, 12. This one, seven. But maybe even more significant than all those details is the location. The first one was in a Jewish territory. This one is in a Gentile territory. Mark wants us to recognize that the second great feeding as a Gentile feeding, showing that God's grace through Jesus is also for the Gentiles. Now, in this crowd, there will be a mix of Jews and Gentiles, but predominantly because of the area that Jesus is in, there are Gentiles. And it's to show that God's plan is for the Jews and the Gentiles to sit together for a meal and fellowship. Now, remember what we've talked about, how the Jews thought about the Gentiles. They considered them dogs. And so for the Jews, a meal was very important. And now Jesus is asking them to sit with the Gentiles and have a meal together. It's a big deal. And so some would hear this story... And be challenged, and others may hear it and be encouraged. Now there's some things I want to point out in this passage, and the first one is verse 2, where Jesus shows his compassion. It says this Jesus called his twelve disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people. The first thing we see is this attitude, this position, this demeanor of Jesus having compassion. The people have been with Jesus for three days, sitting at His feet, hearing His teaching, and after three days without anything to eat, He expresses compassion on them. Now, catch this just for a second. They had been with Jesus three days and had not eaten. Mark mentions none of them being hungry. Grumbling, complaining. It impresses me that these people, predominantly Gentiles, were attracted and drawn to Jesus that they would follow him for three days without eating. How many of you here have gone this past week or this past month without three days without eating? There was a serious commitment on the part of the Gentiles to Jesus, this Jew. Why? Think about the crowd. The crowd, if they didn't eat, Jesus said that they would faint on their way home. Think about the makeup of the crowd. Were all of them saved and true disciples of Jesus? Were there those that were there for not the right reason? Were some there with a sketchy past? Were there some there with loneliness and emptiness, pride, frustration with life, hurt? Surely, out of 4,000 people, not every single one of them were a committed follower of Jesus, drop-at-the-hat-to-die-for-him type person. And yet, Jesus saw them with compassion. These people were not like Jesus. The majority of them are lost people who were not running away from Jesus, but running to Him. For three days. Without food. And you have to ask yourself, why? What did they see? What had they experienced? Jesus welcomed them. He was compassionate and accepting of them despite their differences and despite their sins and their faults. Jesus had an attitude, a demeanor, a position of compassion. It's obvious Jesus had a love and an inviting presence about him as well as a message of hope. And the question is do we? Are people drawn to us the way they are drawn to Jesus? So I have to stop and ask a question for you to consider. How do people perceive you? I mean, most of us realize that we have a life prior to Sunday morning, and we have a life after Sunday morning. And during that time, there are people who are watching us. That people who are different than us, they act different than us. They think differently than us. They speak differently than us. They vote differently than us. They have a lifestyle that's different than us. They're morally different than us. And they are observing you and I. And the question is, what do they see? How would they describe your relationship to them? Are you welcoming? Do they come near to you and hear you to gather around you? Do they feel compassion? For us as individuals and as a church to reach people, we must demonstrate the same love and acceptance that the people recognized in Jesus. Just to make it clear, I want to make it clear, that the lost people came to Jesus. They did not come to Jesus because Jesus had an easy message for them. He didn't, they didn't come to Jesus and say, oh, I, I know you're a sinner, don't worry about it, it's okay. It wasn't something that, as Scripture talks about, tickling their ears. He had a message of truth, and yet they were drawn to Him. Because I believe it had to do with his compassion. Jesus loved them and showed them that love with compassionate and not a condemning attitude. One definition that I love of compassion, it's my favorite definition of compassion, says this Compassion is a deep desire to free others from their suffering. Compassion is is a deep desire to free others from their suffering. Think about that for a minute. Jesus had a deep desire to free others from their suffering. Compassion is a form of love, is aroused within us when we are confronted with those who suffer and or are vulnerable. Jesus sees people who are hungry. He sees the need. And he hurts over the need. And that's where it begins. Real compassion looks beyond the faults of people to see the pain beneath it all and to see the hunger in people's hearts. That's compassion. And sometimes you and I can get in such a hurry in this fast-paced life that we don't pause long enough to really listen or really see what's going on around us. We can be so focused, so fast-paced, that we don't see it in others or even in ourselves. But Jesus is not like that. He sees our need. He slows down long enough. One author said, in fact, Jesus takes as long as needed for us to understand that he sees our need greater and deeper than we even see it. Verse two, Jesus says, he looks at the 4,000, he says, I feel compassion for them. Literally, this word compassion means I feel it in my bowels, in my intestines. Uh, This word compassion, when used in the New Testament, uh, it means that there was a a deep intestinal, uh, at the pit of your stomach, feeling. And Jesus felt for and saw the need of these people intensely. And they weren't even his kind of people. Think with me just for a second. Have you been blessed by the compassion of Jesus? Jesus has compassion for you. He feels for you the way he felt at the people on the hill, the 4,000. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25... When Jesus said, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the Pharisees, they were going, uh, and the disciples were going, wait, wait, when did we see you like this? And Jesus responded with this, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Now, now think about the Jewish people sitting there, beside the Gentiles, who were commonly called dogs by the Jews. These would have been the least of these. But let me say this, too. In reality, we are all the least of these. Because all of us are hungry. All of us are thirsty. All of us were strangers. All of us needed clothing. All of us were sick with sin. And Jesus looks at us and says, I have compassion for you. He invites us to partake of his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his fulfillment. You and I are the recipients of Christ's compassion. We've been blessed with Christ's compassion. Think about it just for a second. What if you were in the crowd that day? It's been three days. It's hot. You're hungry. Here comes the bread and fish. You go, no, I'm good. How silly is that, right? How silly it is to not accept the compassion of Jesus. jesus offers us his compassion freely ours is to accept it now why am i talking about this so much i bring this to our attention because we can only share what we have received if you and i have never received the compassion the grace the mercy the forgiveness of jesus then we have a hard time sharing it with others He wants us to feel the need of others, even if they're not part of our group or part of of our kind of people. But we have to first experience His compassion. The question I want to ask this morning is, how well do you see and feel the needs of people? How great is your compassion? Because seeing the need, feeling the need, hearing the need will lead us to do something about the need, just like Jesus did Jesus and the bread, verses 5 through 8. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. I believe, and I think there's a, a pattern in Scripture, that there is a response required to compassion. Now sometimes we can see and hear compassion... And we'll go, well, I would respond, but it depends. It just depends. And here's some things it may depend on. This isn't an exhaustive list, but maybe it's your list. Well, I would show compassion, but it it depends because I've been burnt before. Because we think it's going to take too much time. Because there's really nothing in it for me. It'll hinder what I really want to do. Because I'm going to get taken advantage of. And if I help this time, they're going to expect it again and again and again. And so we put these qualifiers on it. Well, I'll show compassion if. It depends. But I believe Christ wants us to act on compassion because it's not just enough to know about the need. There has to be a response. What if Jesus seeing the 4000 felt compassion for the crowd and then said guys let's go and he did nothing about it what if he looked at you and i as people separated from god and said yep i have compassion for him but he never left and came to the cross compassion demands a response now The disciples, you got to love these guys. Jesus turns to them. I feel compassion for them. We need to feed them. The first time they said, we don't have enough money. This time says, we are out in the boondocks. There's nowhere to get bread. And you kind of have to laugh at the disciples like they've seen Jesus heal people, bring them back to life, calm the storms, walk on water, feed 5,000 before... But how many times do we forget the miracles of God in our own lives? Forgetfulness and doubt can be a dangerous thing in the minds of a person when it comes to the things of Christ. Doubt can hinder or put up a wall to Christ's power that he wants to display. And he turns to the disciple and says, well, how many loaves do you have? In other words, he's saying, don't push this responsibility away. You have something to offer. Verse 6, Jesus gives thanks, breaks it, and distributes it. There's a theme in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, with Jesus and bread. We've seen it in the past few weeks, the first feeding of the 5,000, then the disciples not eating bread with their clean hands, then the woman wanting just the crumbs of the bread to fall off the table. And now we see it again, Jesus and the 4,000 with bread. Remember what Jesus said about himself and bread in John chapter 6, verse 34. In one of his seven I am statements, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, you can eat all you want of other stuff, but until you eat of me, you're never going to be satisfied. So he's not referring to physical life, he's referring to eternal life. And he's trying to get the Jews... And the Gentiles to understand that he is the Messiah. He's the one. Another thing you notice that all the people are fed to satisfaction. Jesus' provision is always sufficient. Remember what Jesus said of himself in John 10.10? I have come that they may have life and have it what? To the full. To the brim. Another interesting point is that all are welcome to the meal. Now, in doing the study this week, I, I found something very interesting about uh, the word basket in the comparison stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, uh, the word used in the Greek is this word kikofinos, kofinos. And it describes a Jewish basket, meaning that it starts big at the bottom and works its way up and is narrow at the top. It's a Jewish basket, and it's what the Jews would use to carry bread in. But in Mark chapter 8, there's another word that's used, and it's this word spurus, which describes a hamper basket. Anybody got a hamper basket at home? The Gentiles used a hamper basket. The Jews used a, a water tower-type tower basket. And, and the point is that now both of you have a basket to receive the bread of life. It's open to everyone. Really interesting word. Jesus could do away with all the needs of the people around us. But he allows us to be the answers to some of those people's prayers. I love it in both scenarios where Jesus blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and then he gives it to his disciples to participate in compassion. With the storm... This past week and the threat of Hurricane and I thought I would read this story. On August 31st, 2005, FEMA, the Federal, Agency of Management, Federal Emergency Management Agency, the regional director, Marty Bahamond, emailed FEMA director in Washington regarding the situation in New Orleans immediately following Hurricane Katrina. And this is what he emailed. Bahamond wrote, Sir... I know that you know the situation is past critical. Here are some things you might not know. Hotels are kicking people out. Thousands gathering in the streets with no food or water. Hundreds are still being rescued from homes. There are dying patients at the disaster medical assistance team tent. Estimates are many will die within hours. Evacuation is in process. Plans developing for dome evacuation, but hotel situation is adding to the problem. We are out of food and running out of water at the dome, plans in the works to address the critical need. FEMA staff is okay and holding on. The disaster medical assistant team are working in deplorable conditions, and phone connectivity is impossible. The director in Washington responded, Thanks for the update. Let me know if there's anything specific I need to do or tweak. President Bush ended up firing this guy. Why? Because of the insensitivity. Hearing all the needs and say, thanks for the update. And as I read this story this week, I thought, Lord, don't let that be me. Sometimes we see people and their needs feel their hurt and pain, and yet sometimes our actions result into the same thing, thanks for the update. And in the churches, sometimes we'll even say this, I'll pray for you, and don't don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to pray. Prayer is great and awesome, it's what we're to do. But at the same time, God may want to use you to answer your prayer. This past week, our staff took a tour around the island. It was a great time seeing the island, different places. We traveled down roads that we had, hadn't been down, many of us. Passed by places that we passed by all the time. Many places we passed by even on a regular basis. And now we see these places with a little bit different connection. With different eyes. And the same thing happens when... I went on mission trips. I had heard that the the Pocot people in Kenya were starving, but I saw it with my own eyes. What about the orphans in Peru? Or the religious oppression of Myanmar? Or the radical influences of government in the Middle East? And I don't think God holds us accountable to things that he has not shown us, but I am certain that he holds us to things that we have seen and that he has shown us. Not knowing a need and not doing something versus knowing a need and not doing something, there is a difference. Jesus saw the people and felt compassion and he did something about it. And I believe he calls us to do the same. Even for those who are not like us. Jesus gets in a boat, heads off, and the Pharisees come out, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Signed deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Notice in verse 11, it says, the Pharisees came out. In Matthew chapter 16, I think it's verse 19, it says the Sadducees are added to this group. And now you've got these two groups coming out, kind of picking a fight, if you will, with Jesus. Picking some kind of controversy. And they asked Jesus for a sign, but not just any sign. They want a sign from heaven. Meaning, in their thought, hey, why don't you do what Moses did? When you do what Moses did, parting the Red Sea, then maybe we'll talk. Or maybe why don't you do what what Joshua did and made the sun and the moon stand still. Or Samuel, or maybe Elijah when he was with the prophets of Baal. Then, that was the sign of heaven they were looking for. Hoping that Jesus would try these things and fail. But they were not looking for a sign so they could follow Jesus. They were looking for a sign to test Jesus. And to Jesus, the whole world was already full of signs. In fact, the Messiah was standing right in front of them. What more did they need? Jesus, all the time, talked about God and things around them. A wheat of kernel, a kernel of wheat. The trees, the water, the leaven in the loaf, a gnat, a camel, flowers on the hillside, on and on and on. Heavenly signs of God all around us. And in thinking about this, I remembered Elizabeth Barrett Browning's poem where she wrote Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck back berries. Oblivious. Mark explains their motive seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Jesus with a deep sigh. It's our human nature to want proof in a, a sign. And I'll give you an example. When we go to buy a new car, what do we do? We take it for a test spin, right? And when we buy clothes, that, what do they have? They have these fitting rooms so we can try the clothes on and they have mirrors in there because we want to see what we look like in them. How many of you love going to Sam's and having that little snack thing where you can sample all these little snacks? You almost can get a full lunch if they snack at Sam's if you if time it right. And whoever invented that little spoon when you go get ice cream, where you can taste all these different flavors before you get to pick the one, we are, by nature, wanting a proof or a sign about something before we commit, before we buy in. And if you haven't said it, you've heard somebody say it, if God would just give me a sign, just give me some proof, then I would believe and follow and do whatever. And I love what one author said people are looking for God in the abnormal. And if we are, we may be looking in the wrong place. What more do we need to follow Jesus and to have compassion on people? Are you looking for more than you already know? and have seen in order to have faith in the power and the wonder of Jesus. In the inner city of Chicago, there's a pastor named David Maines who prayed this prayer years ago, and I think it's our prayer for today. Lord, let me see the world as you see it, and break my heart with the things that break yours. I want to leave us with a few things this morning. Who or what do you think of when you think about compassion? Do you think about your husband? Your wife? Your kids? Do you think about your neighbors? Co workers? Community? The outcasts? The poor? The hungry? What comes to mind when you think about compassion? What may be God showing you in light of compassion this morning? Will you slow down long enough today and this week to hear and see with compassion? The second thing is, do your thoughts or have your thoughts of compassion satisfactorily motivated you to respond? I'm convinced here this morning that maybe in your mind you're thinking of a person a people a thing a place where god may be stirring your heart and pricking your mind going that's that's it you've seen it you've heard it you've even felt it now it's time to respond to it god will give you direction in the what and the who After we have said yes to the why. Third thing is this. What more are you looking for than what Jesus has already shown? Jesus has gone to great lengths to the cross to display his compassion for you. What more do you need to show his compassion to the world? One author said this, the compassion of Jesus needs to motivate us to pursue freeing people from their suffering. So let me ask you this morning, if you had one thing, just one thing to ask God to do or change or work on in regards to this passage and this message, what would it be? Does it have to do in the area of motivation, like like seeing people with compassion? Does it have to do with action, like start doing something about it? Or is it faith and trust in God? I pray we all spend some time with the Lord this week asking him to reveal to us the blessing of his compassion so that we can be a blessing to others. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this second feeding of the mass of people. God, I thank you that you looked out and saw me, the least of these, hungry, lonely. And you saw me with compassion. And you did something about it by going to the cross. God, thank you for the gift of your compassion and grace and forgiveness, your unconditional, everlasting love. God, help me receive it so that I can share it. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. And we'll trust you with the result. In Jesus' name, amen.